we were afraid of running outbound campaigns. We were just like, oh, you know, it's, maybe it's like a thing of the past, but it's, it's not a thing of the past. It's absolutely work still. And if you do it in a classy way, there is no reason to not do it. Hello and welcome to this episode of Confessions of a B2B Marketer. My name is Tom Han, your host. And today we have Gil Aluge, the CEO and founder of Metadata. Now, this is a beast of a platform. It's the first operating system just for B2B marketing. And Gil is a pretty impressive both marketer or used to be a marketer and now more CEO slash entrepreneur. We dive into some entrepreneurship stuff and then also what's working slash not working for metadata in terms of growth. Quick hint, they have managed to use and get profitable a incentivized demo. So he's giving people a gift card in order to jump on a demo. It's a controversial strategy, but we dig into that. Before we do that, we have to give a big shout out to Fame.so, the company that produced this show. Fame.so is also my company. We start and grow profitable B2B podcasts, e.g. we do all the work and you just show up and host episodes like this. So let's jump into that discussion with Gil right now. Gil, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. The world's first OS for B2B marketing, metadata.io, is the domain for anybody to go to. We're going to get to that later. But my first question for you, Gil, is would you currently describe yourself as a marketer? Oh, that's a great question. No, I would not describe myself right now as a marketer. For anybody who doesn't know, Gil is the CEO of Metadata, roughly 130, 150 people, right? So here's what I wanted to understand, because your back history is in marketing. And then I guess over the past like six or seven years, you've had to do less of this. Is that accurate? That's exactly right. So I've done software engineering most of my life, robotics and other fields. I moved into post-MBA, post-graduate school. I did about eight years of B2B marketing in a few companies. I was a consultant for B2B marketing. Back then, I would absolutely define myself as a marketer, but it's been seven years since I started Metadata and there are significantly better marketers than me around. And I don't know if my shops are still up to date, so I can't give myself that title today. But your most senior marketing person in the business, do they find you like super annoying because you're jumping in with really like outdated ideas? <laughs> I would say I myself tell them there is a reason I hired them. They're better marketers than I am. And so not to listen to all of my ideas. They come up with better campaigns. They know how to imagine better than me. Like my head of marketing had significantly better results for, he was a former customer and he got for them significantly better results than I ever did myself. And so I come up with some ideas and it's always, it's just an idea, you do you. Makes total sense. So it seems to me like metadata has been riding the wave of the... I guess the more technical side of B2B marketing has become more important over the past like seven years. Was that a strategic move? Like, did you see that happening when you're consulting in marketing? Absolutely. That was the impetus for starting Metadata. So I myself am a, what you call, it, I guess, formerly a technical marketer. I'm a quantitative person in my background and software person in my background. And I realized that in B2B, there is a lot more of that left hemisphere of the brain, technical marketing, than the coming up with cool ideas, cool concepts, more like Don Draper, Mad Men type of marketing. I had a choice, right? I could basically continue my career as a technical marketer, join CMOs, or even become a CMO myself and outsource the rest of the work. Or I started Meta to essentially get myself out of business, make myself a commodity so that you don't have to hire a technical person to do all the technical, repetitive, mundane tasks. Ideally, you don't have to do it at all because... Humans are not really, I don't think, built 
for that kind of stuff. They could do it. And some folks are proud of that work, but truly joining CSV files and doing UTM tag alignments and doing multivariate experimentation, this is something that the computer can do so much faster. They don't get bored more efficiently, no mistakes. And then you can have humans do what humans do best, which is more creative work, more ideation, things like that. Everything you've said makes total sense, but you, of course, needed this to be validated by the market. And there's a great story about how you got the first clients for metadata. If you could quickly share that, it's like a super good example of validation of a business idea. Yeah, so I was a consultant after my last job was a VP of marketing at a company called Cubal, which is a, a big data company. And I remember I talked to my boss and I told him, hey, you know, I'm going to start my own consultancy. But don't worry, tomorrow I'm still working here. I just don't have to pay my insurance, but otherwise everything is the same. And I started doing consulting. And at some point I was invited because of the work I did in some venture-backed companies, I was invited to Bessemer Ventures event, which was like a CMO roundtable, if you will. And I was presenting there some of my ideas about experimentation and using software to kind of orchestrate your entire demand generation operation. And I had a lot of fundraisers, people who were really interested in trying it out and were asking like, how can I try this? And that was essentially my market validation right there. I got enough interest when I told them, well, luckily I actually started a company around that and I have a software that we're building to automate all of that work, which was not true. You know, I was still a consultant doing everything manually. And so in that lunch break, in that coffee break, I just quickly, I remember I went to a, a small side room and I opened my LinkedIn and I changed founder, stealth. I don't remember what I put there. And I also forgot to uncheck the button off. Tell everyone that you made the choice. You can choose to do it kind of secretly or to make a big noise about it. And I did make a big noise. And I think the moment that you do it, at least for me, it's like you committed to it. Now everyone knows that you're on that path and you better go at it. You better give it a real shot. So that was my experience of starting Metadata. Epic customer validation. So those first clients, were they literally, I guess, maybe just sending you stuff and you were doing it in the back? Or did you actually then like pause and build the initial MVP? So I did pair programming with a developer from Poland. We started working on it. The first product was just the data enrichment and coming up with audience, what we call today MetaMatch. And everything else was manual. And by the requests of the customers, first of all, I didn't take all requests, right? So it's some requests that were not my core competency and not what I was planning on building, like things like coming up with creative ideas and things that actually marketers should be doing. I was not taking. I told them, hey, this is not, or B2C customers or B2B2C. All of those I kind of rejected, handed off to other consultants and friends. The B2B companies who are focused on demand generation and pipeline generation, those I took over. And based on their requests, I started building the product. I wanted to see what is a repeating request, what's a trend, what is something that I can charge a healthy revenue from, and those went into the product, which is why we also pivoted at first. I was mostly focused on the data part, the enrichment and the audiences part. Then I realized very quickly, this is kind of a race to the bottom. I'm not the only one, there are like 999 other companies doing that. And what you do with the data, how you execute the campaigns, that's where the magic happens. And so it was kind of a bigger problem to solve, but a much more interesting and a much bigger reward if we are the one solving it. Technically, this is an entrepreneurship podcast, but this is another awesome like step in the entrepreneurial journey. Like you weren't deciding, I know these people need this thing. You're waiting for them to ask you to do it, doing it manually and then coding it. Like it's just completely eradicates any risk that people might not want the thing you're building. That's exactly right. I think in any roadmap, when you build a piece of software, you can't rely on one source of ideas. You can't rely on customers only because 
there is a limit to what they think is possible, right? If you're a B2B marketer, you can be the best B2B marketer, but if you've never built software and you're not aware of what is possible, you don't know that what generative AI is, you don't know what big data is or what automation APIs, then you don't even know what is possible to create. And if you're the creator, if you're an engineer who's super excited about technologies and, and using these tools, you may create something that no one ever wants, that has no idea and no need into. And so you kind of have to balance between innovating as well as pulling customer feedback. And in the beginning, it's much more important to collect customer feedback because that's how you know what problems exist to begin with. Makes total sense. So I want to now transition to B2B marketing and the big challenges that B2B marketers are facing right now. I understand one because I listened to your episode of the Exit 5 podcast earlier today. You were mentioning that a big challenge for B2B marketers right now is there's loads of repetitive, maybe slightly technical tasks that people that overqualified are doing instead of maybe enjoying their jobs or coming up with creative ideas. A, would you agree? And then B, are there any other challenges you're seeing B2B marketers facing right now? Yes. First of all, yes, I agree. They are quite technical. And it's not only are they technical, they are really overwhelming. So when you have a group of marketers or a marketer or an agency that needs to run demand generation for a B2B company, the number of campaigns, the number of operations you could be doing is enormous. Just like if you have, I always like to show a very basic calculation to customers. I show them, even if you just have five pieces of content, right? Five eBooks, let's say, and you have 10 different creatives and you have, let's say, five different audiences, right then and there, you have 250 permutations. And now if you're trying one on Facebook, one on LinkedIn, boom, you have like 500 potential campaigns you could be running. No one in their right mind is going to run and execute 500 campaigns. And it's not only running the campaigns, it's checking those campaigns day in, day out and optimizing them and auditing them for results. It's overwhelming. No group of humans basically can do it accurately, repetitively, day in, day out. And so I think it's not even possible. And so what humans end up doing is they choose the 20, 30 that they feel, first of all, that they can do in their lot of time. And the ones that are more, they think that are more like most likely to succeed, which is not true. You know, they could be choosing the, the likelihood that they choose the best 30 out of the 500 just by this is almost zero. Uh, while a machine, it will still end up with 30 campaigns out of 500, but it will actually fine tune into the ones who are most successful based on data. That is humanly impossible. And that's why we built metadata. And then you're asking about any other big challenges. Well, absolutely. I mean, look at the economy. Everyone is talking about doing more with less. It's like the classic, the cliche tagline now for marketing and everything else. But it's also true. Even metadata itself, even us, the first thing that we reduce in terms of budgets are marketing program spend. And it's okay. It makes sense. We did it before and we'll do it again in, in times that are hard. And so with that, you have to be cognizant of how do you really optimize everything and only keep the things that have a positive ROI. And that is something that marketers are challenged with today. And also many marketing teams are slashed completely. We have customers in which 80%, 90% of the marketing team is out and you know, they're left with one or two people we need to figure out how to keep the machine going. And I always tell them, you better not try to do the same thing you were trying to do before with 20% of the resources. It needs to be completely different. You know, it may work, it may not work, but it has to be completely different. And let's come on to a strategy that I discovered you guys have been implementing for metadata, which I think at some point has become somewhat controversial. And this is the incentivized offers, e.g. we'll give you this gift card if you jump on a demo. A, can you just like explain what that means? And then B, obviously the obvious objection to that is that the quality is going to be low because people are not necessarily that concerned about the tool, just more about the bonus that you're offering. But I'd love to understand how that works for you because I think it is actually working. It does. It's expensive, but it does. So 
in 2000, and I think it was 2020, where Jason Widap joined us. It was about to be a customer, and then he joined us. There, we have this re- recurring over and over. We have, I think, about 20 employees who are former customers. And so when he joined, he, I told him, well, look, this is your budget. I think it was like 35K or something per month. Like I told him, this is your budget. This is your pipeline. It was like, great. I got this. And then fast forward a few months, I told him, look, I was wrong. I thought we were about to raise this round of funding. We're not. So your budget is cut by two thirds. The goal hasn't changed though. After the five stages, like the denial and all the rest and the anger and the, he started looking, I told him, look, you have to find, just like I told you before, you have to find something completely different. You can't just try to do a third of what you were planning on doing before, because then you'll maybe get to a third of the results. You have to come up with a different like experiment until you get to a different way of getting there. And he found this campaign type that was called conversational ads in LinkedIn that was super new there. I mean, we got the awards for Innovation Award because we built the API connection to it super quickly. And so we were not competing with anyone. Back then, it was like barely anyone was using it. And so we found this very simple way of targeting very particular companies, very particular people. And LinkedIn essentially will manage the whole who to send and when to send this offer. And basically the offer was, you give us 50 bucks, I think it was Grubhub back then or DoorDash. And in return, you give us the buyer persona. If it's a qualified company, you bring the buyer persona on a demo. Even if they don't, of course, buy, you still get that gift card. And we found that to be such a goldmine. Now, yes, it was expensive. It's like the money that you pay for the ad plus the $50 gift card. And we played with different amounts. You know, 40 bucks was work, work, different personas, 100 bucks. But the beautiful thing about it is that elasticity of that campaign was amazing. Meaning we were able to twice just quadruple the demand just by increasing the budget and it worked. We couldn't necessarily handle the demand, so we reduced it back, but it was fascinating to see that we have full control. The demand is there and we have full control on bringing it back. We were able to implement this tactic time and time again with other customers. I remember I had other customers who were seeing kind of slow results and I told them, hey, this is a playbook that was working well. We even implemented, we coded the playbook into metadata. So it was very easy for customers to try it out. Super fast results. And so it's nothing magical. It's not rocket science, right? You give for 50 bucks for the right persona. Some of them are interested just in the gift card and that's okay. You still get the right person from the right company, maybe not the right time to come and, and listen to your pitch and see your demo. It's magical. We were able to convert many, many, many of those. I will say in hindsight, we ran it for too long and it's something that we've taken care of. Like we have decreased that number drastically in the last, in the past three quarters. And also the conversion, the close rate for that inbound pipeline is lower than companies who are not coming in with a gift card, which makes sense. But we realize those are happening. Makes total sense. How often are you sharing B2B marketing strategies with customers? Constantly. It's not even only B2B. You know, I had a customer, I won't mention the name. I was traveling in Europe and visiting a bunch of customers. One of them was telling me that he's not yet seeing pipeline for metadata. And so I got into their system and I saw, I showed him the, the inbound uh, traffic leads that he got. So like the inbound, the, the SQLs, or even before the SQLs, just the MQLs that the right people from the right companies were coming in. And he said, yeah, I know these, they're the right people, but I'm not seeing it in pipeline. And I remember I asked him, what is your follow-up process? Who is following up? How often? What time? What's the message? And this is nothing to do with what you do, right? It's nothing to do with image generation. This is SDR, BDR work. But I realized that they take two days sometimes to reply to an inbound, like, you know, the CTO of Bank of America will come in and it will take them 48 hours to send a completely non-personalized outreach cadence to that person. And I told them, look, you're the CRO, let's make a deal. Next three months, you 
send all the emails. You send them within 10 minutes of that person getting, I, if you send an email with five typos is better within 10 minutes than the most perfect catered email, you know, curated email in, in two days. And I told him, you are sending it from your email. Do not send it to the junior SDR. You send it, you're Mr. CRO. And I told him, if you're not getting anything within three months, I'm relieving you from the contract. And he was like, okay, this is a good deal. So he committed to it. And magically, within a few weeks, you already had a few opportunities because this has nothing to do with marketing. This has everything to do with what do you do with the with, with inbound, with inbound popular coming in. So we absolutely sometimes share best practices in marketing because we have so many practitioners in the company, but even sometimes from other areas, like from the customer journey, because at the end of the day, we get measured by the results. And even if the bottleneck is outside of our control, it doesn't matter. We still get dinged for it. And so we want customers to be happy. And so we'll share the best practices. So you're, I guess, the customer success managers have to be B2B marketing practitioners. They have to be good enough, meaning they have to be dangerous, right? Absolutely, they cannot. They have to understand the generation, popular creation. They have to understand the different tactics and playbooks that are available, the different channels. They don't have to be like the most experts. We have a few of those in the company. And so we can always help them with managed service or just advice, but they absolutely need to be dangerous, not only for to give advice to the customers, also to be credible. If I'm spending half an hour with my customer success and I have a VP of demand or senior director of demand, I better have something to learn from the customer success manager. I don't want them to just like point me to a URL or to some white paper, like that's not going to cut. There are some major, major paid platforms that when you jump on a support call with someone on their support team, it seems like they're not experts, but we won't talk about that now. So this also makes sense as to why you sometimes bring on customers to <laughs> metadata, right? Because they therefore will be between marketing experts, whether they're going into the customer success role or not. Yes. And we look, we have the advantage of seeing the results that the customers are doing, right? And so, for example, I had a customer who was a customer for three years and uh, he was crushing it. And I'm seeing the result. I'm like, oh my God, this is like 10 times better than what we're doing. And so I'm trying to learn from him. And then I understand that he's starting, I can tell by talking to him that he's starting to look. And so I'm not going to approach a customer actively, but they're already like looking two things. One, if they are a good customer and they're successfully getting good results from the product, it means they're technical enough to even operate the product successfully. And I want those people in. And two, if there's a cultural fit and they work with our people, with our team well, and they can do it for like for the period of like a few quarters, two years, to me, it's a win-win. And I would also say sometimes I bring in, I mean, everything can be solved by people, process, and product, right? People first, maybe process later, and eventually product. The only way to make that magic uh, equation work is I bring in the right people to solve something manually in a way that doesn't scale and then bring it into the product. Like Abdullah Hakim, who is our head of, our head of marketing, or Joe, who is a former customer, it was an agency who worked with all of our customers. They would run something manually, then they would do it again, then they would document into the process. And after a few times it's working, it goes into the product. I mean, Convo adds playbook in metadata that you can just click and have the playbook kind of work for you, executed for you, came from Jason. He, he used it, it was working well, and then we coded it. And so those, that feedback loop happens when you have the right people. If you have a customer success that knows nothing about marketing, they'll never document anything. Nothing will ever come into the product. Super interesting flow there. And I think, because most people listening are B2B marketing, people, leaders, managers, et cetera, the first two definitely apply for them in their B2B marketing teams, right? Get the right people, 
And then ideally, those people are going to be using new processes. And then I guess if you have someone coding and you have like your own text set up for the marketing team, you could code that into your own product or you could just go out and find a product that will do it for you, I guess. Makes total sense. Now, I know at the top of the episode, you said you're not too involved or you wouldn't describe yourself as a marketer right now. I'm still really interested in what may or may not be working for metadata on the marketing side, if you're happy to go into that. Yeah, I'm happy to. There are some things we've never done before even, which are working now, which is cool, but it's not like we haven't worked before. It's just like we've never tried. So for example, we ran our first email campaign for the history of metadata a month ago. We're seven years old. Yeah, first time, first email campaign. First like one too many email campaign to try to drive pipeline. And it was amazing. I could not believe it. I think we got from the first test, we got like 140 demo requests, which was unbelievable. You know, we calculated how much would we pay for it if we did the the $50 gift card, you know? And so that was super interesting. Another thing that we've never done before, we were so accustomed and good at the inbound. About 70, 80% of, historically 80% of our pipeline is inbound, right? We have a BDR, she's getting constantly a flow of inbound demo requests. And guess what? We, you provide your BDRs and your AEs a flow like that for years, the outbound muscle is doesn't exist, right? There's like no muscle there whatsoever. They're accustomed to it completely. In these times that we are right now, we're trying to balance costs. We're trying to build that muscle. And so we're now doing outbound for the first time. And it's also something that is kind of starting to work, which is amazing. So email campaigns, outbound, something that is kind of new for us that is working well. Just a quick clarification question on that. How much of that success do you think has been down to the last seven years of you guys building the brand? Because I was aware of metadata before we spoke about this podcast. I'm sure a big chunk of the B2B marketing world are. So yes, the cold campaign looks like it's got a sweet ROI, but actually you've done all this work in the background. Absolutely. Completely agreed. Of course, this is absolutely correlated. There's the direct causality between the two. When we didn't have a brand, you send an email to someone, they don't know who you are. They don't even open the email. And all the same thing for the email list, right? The email list, we've been working... Think about just last year, we had 7,500 registrants for the demand conference. These are 7,500 B2B marketers who are getting value constantly. They're joining our events, conference, they're in the community, and they never got an email, a salesy email from us. So the first one is obviously going to work well. So completely, there is true positive there from that experience. It wouldn't happen otherwise. But I will also say we were afraid of running outbound campaigns. We were just like, ah, oh, you know, it's Maybe it's like a thing of the past, but it's, it's not a thing of the past. It absolutely works still. And if you do it in a classy way, there is no reason to not do it. Yeah, in a classy, ideally different way that leaves the prospect like ideally in a better place or at least entertained after the email. Correct. Short, sweet, not truly personalized, ideally. Use data. We have so much data that we can use and we use in, in our email campaigns. We are using a bunch of systems to push a lot of data from our benchmark report, from buyer intent data that we're getting from like the G2 and Bamboras of the world, and we're using data from the product. And so the emails are fairly intelligent. They're not just like, hey, hey, Tom, you should check out metadata demo. It, it, should, it will be more sophisticated than that. Yeah, it makes total sense. Is there anything else, Juicy, you can share that worked for metadata or maybe even stuff that you see within the, like I know you run a lot of paid spend through the platform that is interesting right now. I think new channels are becoming super interesting. You won't believe I'm saying it, but TikTok is becoming something that, that we're starting to look into. I saw my first Doominful advertisement the other day on TikTok. It was a good ad and I clicked on it. And it was like, this is great. They know who I am. It's not like I'm getting this out of nowhere. You know, there's a really good reason I'm getting this commercial. 
And so I started pushing my team and they're starting to run some experiments there. I think in general, other channels are underserved. I think Twitter is still underutilized, Quora underutilized for particular verticals like cybersecurity, Reddit is underutilized. And as long as you're using custom audiences, which all of these channels at this point support, right? So Quora doesn't have, I don't think, an API for their ads. I think we tried and they don't have it yet. They haven't built it, but they have built an API for their audience. So you can layer on a particular audience for your ads. So if you're running ads with particular sales companies, there is no risk, but the risk is eliminated. And so I think many marketers are afraid sometimes. I mean, we still have marketers. We were just doing a briefing to one of the analyst firms and we were saying how we made Facebook work, right? Because we're applying the layer of data that is the same layer of data that otherwise works for LinkedIn, same level of thermographic, technographic, bio-intent data audience, we can now apply it to Facebook. So what historically has been consumer channel, now is a B2B channel. And we were telling them how B2B, how Facebook is a B2B channel. And they were still saying, oh, well, Facebook doesn't work for B2B. And I told them, well, that is exactly, that's like the consensus that is wrong. If you do get over that mindset and you're now applying the right data sets, or you're only going after the right people within the right companies, you're just going in the channel that they're usually underserved in. First of all, you're one out of 10 who are actually serving them ads. You're serving the, the CMO, the VP of the CISO in Facebook. And two, you're getting it for half the price because it's such a different bidding strategy. So I think that's something that I strongly recommend companies to look into. YouTube, Reddit, Quora, TikTok, apply the right audience and try a bunch of creative ideas because most of them won't work. The one that will work would be exponential return. And so that's why I strongly recommend to experiment there. You've also been running LinkedIn organic from your personal profile, right? Posting pretty regularly. Was that like a specific growth program for metadata or just something you wanted to do to help with hiring, et cetera? Totally a conscious program. I'll tell you more than that. I saw Dave Gearhart two years ago. I would start seeing the post from Dave Gearhart and I would look and it was like 150 comments, 20 shares. And I'm thinking he gets a lot of business from this. So I reached out to him. I didn't know him back then. I asked him if he would coach me and he, he, we agreed on it and graciously agreed to coach me on a weekly basis which is a great guy and great process. And I learned a lot from it. And today I have someone who is kind of project managing this for me and a bunch of other folks in the company. So I tell the folks in Metadata, if you're knowledgeable in your field, especially B2B marketing, but it doesn't even have to be B2B marketing. If you're a really good CISO, if you're a really good SDR and you're kind of a thought leader, we're going to help you build a brand. It's going to help you personally and it's going to help Metadata at the same time. We did it with Jason Widup, we did it with Mark Huber, we did it with Silvio. Some of them are not in the company anymore and they're now leveraging that brand that they built. I did the same thing in my previous company, built my own images, my own brand as a VP of marketing. And it helped me tremendously when I started that consultancy. So I think it's a win-win and totally a conscious decision. Are we getting demo requests saying they heard from Gil on LinkedIn? Yes. That what it's, the way it goes, it's not like the demo request has anything written like Gil's LinkedIn post about whatever KPIs, it's not like that. It's more like in the first call, they mentioned that that was the thing that pushed them into it or the benchmark report or this podcast that we did. Absolutely. Makes total sense. So we're going to be linking below to metadata. Obviously, hopefully we can get a couple of demo requests from Confession of B2B Marketer. We'll link to your interview with Dave Gerhardt on Exit 5. I thought that was really awesome interview. And also your personal LinkedIn profile. Anything else we should be linking to? MetaMatch is something that we are offering a free trial of. And so any B2B company, even if you're spending $1,000 per month on AdSpend, which basically disqualifies you from using our product because you should not pay anything to manage $1,000, you should run it natively. 
But even if you're doing it with such a small budget, you should make sure that every dollar that comes out of your spend goes to the right company, the right people. And so MetaMatch will help you do that. And uh, you can get the first three audiences for free. So every B2B marketer here that listens, you can get those three audiences for free. You can put the credit card and cancel it right after and you still get to use the three audiences. So try it out. Love that. That will be linked below in the show notes. Gil, thank you so much for coming on and sharing, honestly, everything that's been happening at Metadata over the past few years. Thank you, Tom. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Gail, for coming on and sharing the wisdom. We have a new sponsor. So his Samurai Links, the B2B link building agency, is offering a complimentary, comprehensive optimization report. So you'll get analysis on five high priority pages on your site, and they will tell you how to rank these better within 30 days. There is a link below in order to claim that offer. All right, we got to give a big shout out to Kieran Mayers of Pager, making recruiters both smarter and faster. Kieran left the following review on Apple Podcasts. Great show, lots of B2B podcasts now, but this one has great timely and informative guests. Kieran and Pager, thank you so much for that. Another shout out to Gil for sharing his wisdom, a shout out to Fame Dice for sponsoring the show, and a shout out for you for listening.